This is Inside the Military Mind, addressing mental health and wellness for service members, veterans, and their families with your host, Wayne France. Brought to you by Family Care Center, offering behavioral health services for both children and adults and specializing in services for military families and veterans. Family Care Center, our family caring for your family. Now, here's Dwayne France. Hello and welcome to Inside the Military Mind. My name is Dwayne France, and each week we'll be talking about mental health and wellness for the military-affiliated population. Coming up in today's guest segment, I'll be having a conversation with combat veteran and clinical mental health counselor Eli Varney. After that, I'll be sharing the Homefront Military Network Resource of the Week, Onward to Opportunity, a no-cost career skills training program for transitioning service members, veterans, and military spouses. On this week's Insights segment of the show, I'll be talking about how some service members and veterans might experience emotions that were beneficial in one environment, but not beneficial in another environment. A paradox is a seemingly self-contradictory statement or concept that also happens to be true. Service members and veterans experience a number of different paradoxes, often when transitioning from military culture to non-military culture. The paradox is this. Those actions and emotions that protected service members in combat are dangerous to them at home, and those actions and emotions that are supportive at home were dangerous in combat. There's something that a lot of veterans realize. The military does a great job of training us, but doesn't do a very good job at retraining us after we return from combat. More to the point, we don't do a very good job at retraining ourselves after we return from combat or transition out of the military. Without coming to the point of awareness that what we experienced changed us and that we need to continue to change and grow to succeed, we can become trapped in thoughts and behaviors that were comfortable to us but are no longer beneficial. If you served in the military and deployed to combat, think about the emotions you had when you were deployed to a combat zone. There are emotions that were extremely effective there in combat but not helpful to us at home. The primary one was anger, of course. It drove us, it fueled us, it kept us awake, it kept us sharp. Anger is a powerful motivating force that helped us accomplish our mission. Vigilance is another one. Being totally aware of what's happening around you, what could potentially happen on the route in front of you, being focused on what happened in this area two hours ago so that you could be prepared for something that may happen two minutes from now. It kept service members alive. It kept them and those that they were responsible for safe. It helped service members ensure that the mission got accomplished. As leaders, sometimes we modeled aggressiveness and anger as a way to get things done. We may not have been proud of it if we think about it at all, but we were pretty good at it. We passed along the idea that this is how things got done. The staff sergeant on his third deployment taught the sergeant on his second deployment how to teach the private on his first deployment how to be aggressive. Because it was necessary. Contrast that to when we come home. How do we turn that anger off if we don't realize that we no longer need it? Stuff makes us angry here. Things happen at home that make us feel as though we have to be prepared. I can't count how many times that I have veteran clients who've been out of the service for nearly 10 years say, I always have to be ready in case something happens. Forget the fact that somebody hasn't kicked in my door in a decade. I have to be ready in case it happens in the next few minutes. What about the other side of the coin? What emotions are acceptable at home at the park with the kids walking through the mall, but were dangerous and potentially lethal when we were deployed. A sense of safety is a huge one. Mention the word complacency to a combat veteran and see what happens. Complacency kills is a phrase that you're likely to hear. Feeling safe, feeling like everything is okay, something's not about to happen. That's when stuff really kicks off. 
And if we're not ready for it when we're over there, then bad stuff happened. Compassion is another one that is absolutely necessary when we come home, but sometimes got in the way when we're deployed. I'm not saying that all veterans became emotionless sociopathic drones while we were in combat. However, ill-placed sentiment and compassion towards the wrong people was extremely dangerous, and it was easier to put it off, suppress it, not engage with it, rather than deal with the consequences of misplaced compassion. Realizing that we need to turn these back on, the sense of safety and the sense of compassion, while simultaneously turning off the emotions that protected us in combat, is key to a successful transition, either coming back from a combat deployment or leaving the military into post-military life. This brings up another point that Eli and I discuss in our conversation, emotional detachment. It starts from when we enter the military. It's not about what we like and don't like. Opinions don't matter. It's about doing what you're told and not doing what you're not told. Certain military trainings, such as drownproofing, airborne school, obstacle courses, are designed to induce fear while increasing skill. This happens so that the service member can get the mission done while ignoring or decreasing the emotional response to these stressors. There are some benefits to this for sure. It's often only when we're tested that we become aware of the capacity that we have to endure stress and hardship. Just like how certain emotions protected us in combat, emotional detachment was useful to be able to overcome emotions that were not helpful to accomplish the mission. Just because it was useful, however, doesn't mean it was beneficial. Greater degrees of emotional detachment in combat might have an impact on the development of traumatic stress reaction. In an analysis conducted in 2003, before the repeated exposure to combat that post-9-11 veterans experienced, psychologists Matthew Tall and Elizabeth Romer identified several studies that showed that emotional numbing was the strongest predictor of PTSD five months after the traumatic incident. There's evidence that a service member that felt significant emotional detachment in combat would experience challenges regarding traumatic stress reaction upon returning from the combat environment. Unfortunately, however, this emotional detachment doesn't always stay in combat or the training environment, especially for service members that have had rapid deployments. And this level of emotional detachment is definitely not beneficial for post-military life when the need for the protective emotions in combat are no longer necessary and emotional detachment is more of a barrier than a benefit. So the military doesn't do a great job of helping service members get to that point of awareness that we need to change how we react emotionally based on different environments. There are lots of great transition programs, but they're focused on helping us write resumes, dress for success, prepare for an interview. Maybe how to apply to a school or submit a business loan. In my experience, however, the military doesn't help us become aware that we no longer need to scan the rooftops, that we don't have to check the security of the perimeter whenever we hear a noise in the middle of the night, that we don't have to use the most effective multi-tool that we have, anger, for every situation. If you're a veteran and you find that you've struggled or are struggling with this emotional contradiction or detachment, then reach out to somebody. As with anything else, awareness and acknowledgement are the first steps towards making a change. We can't change something if we don't recognize it within us. After awareness, talking to someone to get understanding around it is extremely beneficial. Working with a mental health professional can be helpful, and it doesn't mean you're crazy. It means that you're using skills that kept you alive once, but are no longer necessary to accomplish the mission. If you're a caregiver or somebody who's working to support veterans, the best course of action is just to listen. Don't judge, don't react with shock or surprise, don't respond to their story with, I know how you feel because I experience blank. Just listen, support, and be present. So I'd love to hear what you think. 
your experiences with this. Share them by dropping us an email at militarymind at fccsprings.com. So today's interview segment is with Eli Varney, a licensed professional counselor and currently serving officer in the Wyoming National Guard. Mr. Varney has been a clinical mental health counselor for service members, veterans, and their families for five years and is also a military spouse and has two combat deployments. Let's get into my conversation with Eli and come back afterwards to hear about this week's Homefront Military Network Resource of the Week. So it's always interesting to me how people choose their careers, especially if it's a service member who chooses to be who chooses to become a mental health counselor like we did, serving other veterans. I'd like to hear a bit more about your military background uh, and why you wanted to become a therapist. Okay, uh, so I'll answer the military background question first. I've been in the Wyoming Army National Guard for about 16 years. And during that time, I've had two deployments. I graduated Sapper Leader Course in 2014 and Ranger School in 2018. Uh, I started off as a 13 Bravo and then I went to the dark side on the officer world and I became a engineer officer and now I'm an infantry officer. I would say there's two main reasons why I became a therapist. The first time was, it was when I was about 22 and my sister-in-law, had went through a very traumatic experience. Uh, very long story short, she found her boyfriend in the closet and he had hung himself. And so I became very involved in that because it was right after I graduated, graduated with my bachelor's. And I remember going to Fort Collins and spending about a week with her and her family because my wife was actually at airborne school at that time. And I remembered it was almost like a calling of like, okay, I'm comfortable here. I'm even, even though there's this traumatic experience going on, even though there's, there's the crying and the wailing and the uncertainty of what's going to happen next. I enjoyed being there with her during it. And almost like, okay, we're safe. We're going to get through this together. Um, so that was kind of the first time the, the, the second instance was, uh, on my first deployment, I was a platoon leader and I had several soldiers who were struggling. Um, depression, being gone from family. We were gone for about 11 and a half months. And, uh, you know, soldiers who had babies who were born and they weren't able to be home for them. Um, people going through divorce. A lot of time, you know, a lot of young people on this deployment and they'd never been gone from home. And I remember having a feeling of almost inadequacy of while I was there with them of, I can't help them as much as I want to, and it's really starting to bother me. So it was actually while I was deployed that I reached back to UCCS and I applied for my master's program. And then I speed up a few years later, I got my master's in counseling and human services. It's always interesting, especially when um, it, it, there's something that triggers, right? There's, yeah. there's a reason for us to get into it. Uh, my first experience very similar was uh, was some crisis we were going through with my father, right? Mm -hmm. My father was a Vietnam veteran. Um, and and being comfortable in that space, not that you enjoyed the, no, the, the no. drama and, and the, the tragedy, um, but really just saying that, that I can do something here. Mm -hmm. This is something that, that I can help with. Yeah, uh, 100%. It's, like I said, it was like a calling of like, this fits. It's I'm, I'm sure you've been in like those situations or the jobs where you feel like a square peg in a round hole. And this was, you know, it was a round peg in a round hole and it just felt right. Of And then working with uh, my sister-in-law for years after that, of seeing her progress of 
um, you know, because she, she used to be scared of closets where the incident happened. And like working with her and seeing the progress she's making with her therapist, and I, I was like, I want to be with that, but specifically, I want to work with vets going through that. Because during the deployment, you talk a little bit about some of the hardships. You know, mm-hmm. some people who who hadn't served, maybe they understand. Uh, yeah, you're going to get shot at, but sometimes that separation. Again, sometimes if you have some young soldiers that you know maybe didn't have the concept that that they would be deployed or, mm-hmm. or be in that situation, um, that's where you felt like you'd be able to support them after their military service. Exactly, because. Uh, unfortunately being deployed is not the healthiest environment out there and uh there's almost like a negative stigma of hey if you see mental health on your deployment you're going to get sent home which means you've let down your buddies which means you've failed and so a lot of them will just suppress and ignore that emotion of hey maybe i need to talk to somebody so if i can do whatever i can for when they get home of helping to to normalize those emotions they went through to help them work through that trauma that they felt like they couldn't i wish they could have been able to do it then um but if i can be here now and help them through it then that would be then that's fulfilling to me and even with the national guard in some instances uh, reserve component um you don't have all of the support right mm-hmm. you know every time that i went I, mm-hmm. I left from a base and then i deployed and then i came back to a base you sort of come back and the services are there you may or may not use them uh, but especially accessing services in the national guard or maybe the army reserves is a lot different because you don't have the same supports you do in active duty oh that's a hundred percent a real thing so like I said, I was from Wyoming, or I am from Wyoming, and I have soldiers who literally don't even have landlines. They don't even have cell phones a lot of times. They work in the oil fields. They'll they'll do, you know, four 12-hour shifts, and they, they live in rural Wyoming where there is nothing around and there are no resources out there. And so the, the struggle of coming back and actually asking for help... Um, we actually, my first deployment, I had a soldier commit suicide right when we, uh, it was about 30 days after we got home. And it's, it's interesting because on a deployment, you know, people, for the most part, they grow closer together. You go mm-hmm. through some bad experiences, but if, if the leadership is good, if there's that motivation, people do, they grow closer. And unfortunately what happened with Jared when he got home is he came home to an unhealthy environment. So he went from being surrounded by his brothers in arms, people to support him every day, go to the gym, eat, hang out, to an environment where, where drugs were present. And he didn't have that support. He didn't have that help. And so unfortunately he passed away after we got home. And it if I can do anything I can to avoid going through that again, and I think that's one of the critical things that some people really don't understand is mm-hmm. that transition. Um, it, it, active military, yes, I was in for 22 years, and then I got out and I left. But for National Guard, um, you you will transition after every deployment, or even mm-hmm. have, I mean, it's it's you you have a foot in both areas, and it's almost like you have to consistently reintegrate after each one of these events. Yeah, and that's that's exactly how it is, and sometimes it works out really well, and sometimes it doesn't and it's we we try to plan for everything but unfortunately we can't plan for everything 
And it's obviously it is if there are difficult things that happen on deployments for National Guard or reserve mm-hmm. soldiers. Uh, but it's not just that, right? It's the employment stuff. As you mentioned, it's family and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, you know, when I got married, um, my wife knew that 9-11, I was pretty much going, right? Somebody joins the National Guard, especially early on in the global war on terror, they may not have considered that there's a chance that mm-hmm. my loved one is going to be gone three, four, five times over the next six or seven years. Um, and so there's the relationship issues, and then there's the employment issue, just being able to try to find work. Mm-hmm. Whereas I was doing this really great thing over here all in deployment, but now I have to come back and sweep up sawdust or flip burgers or something. And and that definitely does happen. Um, th- this is kind of a tangent, but it's actually something I'm very proud of with that the change that has happened. I've so I, I enlisted in 2005, and the guard in 2005 is completely different from what it is now. Uh, we didn't have good equipment. Our training was not the best, and but because of okay, we the guard has to. We have to perform at a higher level. Training increased, purpose increased. Um, Victor Frankel uh, wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, and he talks about the importance of having purpose and identity in life. And it's what I've seen in the transition that's happened is that since these guard members have more of a purpose and there's there's a lot more pride there, uh, it tends to create a healthy environment because they have that purpose to continue to drive forward. the the there is that uh, transition for soldiers coming home that for me personally for the most part it is I've seen success happen for them because a lot of times after deployment we're tired of of that world so so me coming home like after this last deployment I got home in March of 2020 and I cannot tell you how much I was looking forward to coming back and being a counselor because I was like I am I am tired of running missions. I am tired of patrol briefs. I am tired of everything that surrounds that. I just want to be home, and I want to be a counselor. And, it's, and I, I saw a lot of that for the guys as well. They were ready to come home and be be that construction worker, be that whatever job that they wanted to do. And I think that's really um, uh, important to understand that uh, it just as much you, you love the brothers and sisters you're serving with, it can also get on your nerves, right, after being, <laughs> yeah. after being in, in that close contact in, mm-hmm. in, in over a year. Um, so as an officer and a leader in the military, I'm sure you see some similarities and differences in being a mental health professional, being a counselor. Uh, while some of it's the same, sort of that taking care of troops, you know, hey, Joe, Josephine, what's going on with you? Uh, there are definitely some things that don't carry over. It's not like we want to be able to give them the command hand in mm-hmm. the, the therapy session. <laughs> um, but how do you feel like your military service has helped you in your role as a therapist for service members and veterans? So I I really enjoy that question. The, the word that comes to mind is relating, being able to relate to that situation so um my wife my wife is active duty then i've been guard my whole career but uh so i I deployed came home a month later she deployed and then uh in 2019 my son was born and i deployed two weeks after my son was born and so being able to relate to other people who've gone through those experiences so words words can't really always express what we've gone through but looking looking at a spouse and saying this is hard right now 
coming home and seeing your spouse's car in the driveway and knowing that they're not home, knowing that they're deployed, you know, working with a soldier and saying, you know, Hey, I've, I've been gone. Um, out of the 11 years that my wife and I, we've been married, we've been separated for due to military service. And it's just sharing that with other people and saying, yes, this is hard. We can work through this if you want to. Um, Hey, I've had, unhealthy leaders within my military service. I've had healthy leaders within my military service. I've been there with you. Um, I'm obviously not physically, but more uh, spiritually or emotionally in that aspect. You know, I've, I've missed birthdays. I've missed anniversaries. You know, I've met, I think I've missed six Thanksgivings. Uh, yeah, at least six Thanksgivings, but one holiday I've never missed is a uh, tax April 15th, ironically. <laughs> um, so again, I just say relating with them, knowing that we have been in those shoes too. We, I have struggled as well with, you know, different symptoms of depression while deployed of, Hey, sometimes we got to suck it up for a little bit, but then after we're done white knuckling it, I need to ask for help. And it's okay if you do that too. And so indefinitely, you know, if somebody comes in and they see your stuff on the wall and and they're a veteran, it it builds that trust. But Mm -hmm. it's more than just saying that, hey, you know, you know what mud tastes like kind (laughs) of stuff. Um, It's that you can understand what it's like to be separated. You can understand what it's like to be in a crisis situation. And you can also understand and help them to know that you can get beyond this. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And kind of going with that uh concept of getting beyond this with with the relating with the relay with soldiers and getting beyond it i like to look at a a, a lot of my clients have ptsd and me personally what i've seen is sometimes a negative connotation with that idea of ptsd and the i read read a book several years ago and it talked about okay what can we do as a positive reframe on this because some of the vets, they don't want that diagnosis of PTSD because of D, the disorder. Mm-hmm. So I prefer the concept of post-traumatic growth. How can we, we've gone through some traumatic experiences that have shaped our lives, but let's use it as kind of a growth experiences. This doesn't define me. I've gone through some bad things, but I can continue to work through it. And so uh, just like you said, Dwayne, with moving past or uh, something that you can move past it that's what i do like to hit on is hey even even though you've gone through a awful time and you had unhealthy leadership how can you be a healthy leader now even though you came home from your deployment and you found your wife doing things that are not right what can you do to be that positive example to your sons and reframing it that way uh, i've found has been significantly effective with working with vets I describe it as uh, coming through the other side of the valley of death, right? Yeah. You know, you've yeah. been through that valley of death, but you've got to come through the other side. And how things happen for you on the other side, a lot of that's under our control. Yes, 100%. And it's with that under control, it's understanding where it came from. You know, is the... When I drive down the street and I see garbage on the side of the road and I get sweaty palms, is that... It's, it's understanding it, uh, saying, okay, I, I recognize it. This will not control me. I will keep moving forward. Uh, and, and I think that that's the other part with relating with vets is it's, it's letting them know that 
when I see that pile of garbage, hey, sometimes I get sweaty palms too. When I see three currents stacked alongside the road with one getting progressively higher, my hands will get sweaty. I'm going through that too. I'm relating with you as well. But instead of letting that kern or that pile of garbage dictate which route I take to work, I'm recognizing it. I'm acknowledging it. But I'm not letting it control me. And that um, that's something like through my own therapy that I've helped process and, and understand as well. And that's where I think, especially with combat veterans, and as we're, we're in this era, uh, maybe our predecessors were Vietnam veterans who went through Vietnam and mm-hmm. then in the 70s and 80s did what you and I did and became clinical mental health counselors. But, you know, they say the best preacher is a former sinner, right? <laughs> you know, this is someone who is able to deal with and overcome uh, what they've overcome with. Um, uh, in Afghanistan, the majority of our deployment or our patrols were at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, full illumination is a horrible time because <laughs> mm-hmm. we knew we'd get attacked. And I found myself coming back. I was a first sergeant at this point. I let the dogs out at 4.30 in the morning. And then I freeze because it's a full moon outside. And the immediate thought was, they're going to see me. Well, who's going to see me? The neighbors and my boxer shorts? Who cares, right? But there's they. this. They. <laughs> yeah. That was the auto- automatic freeze. And, being, and like you said, being able to, not to not experience that, but to not let that experiencing keep me from, for example, letting the dogs out or, or yeah. living my life in a certain way. Yep. And that's exactly what it is. It's. I think there's so much power in acknowledging the emotion or acknowledging the, the trauma or the stress that we're going through. Uh, so often in, in the army, it's you suppress, you shove it down, shove it down, shove it down just to get over it. And so we're taught not to, not to acknowledge the stresses that we're going through. And just acknowledging the sadness, acknowledging the stress is the first step in it beginning to heal. It's actually looking at it and saying, okay, I see this festering wound of depression. I'm going to work on you now because so often in the past it's, hey, I'm just going to ignore it and move past. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a level of um, emotional suppression anyway, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, you you mentioned the fact that you were deployed, then your wife was deployed, (laughs) and then, you know, you had to leave right after the birth and everything else is we have to detach ourselves emotionally, especially, again, in, in combat veterans, you have to detach yourself emotionally from those things i did it again in afghanistan i said you know i don't want pictures of mama and baby in your helmet leave that stuff on the fob Mm -hmm. i need your head in the game right so as leaders we 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 required others to suppress their emotions compartmentalize compartmentalize but we don't tend to turn that on yep And, and that's that's exactly what that is is it's we're taught how to separate and how to ignore but not how to reintegrate um you and I were actually talking about this a few days ago about, you know, coming home from deployment so often it's you get home and then, you know, maybe 14, 30 days of block leave and then back to normal. There's no, hey, who's going to talk to me about how you're going to work out with your spouse about child daycare? How are you, how are you and your spouse going to reintegrate new chores? Your spouse has been functioning without you for the past year and now you're jumping back in life and you want to help you have projects you have things you want to work on what does that healthy reintegration process look like and that's when whenever i have clients who are in the process of coming home or the spouses are coming home i have them work on a reintegration plan of Mm -hmm. what does that look like everything from chores to to sex to kids to everything after after my first deployment i remember my wife and i got a huge fight about where the laundry basket goes Mm -hmm. 
wasn't about the laundry basket. It was about that I am now reintegrating back into her life. Mm -hmm. And what does that healthy lifestyle look like? And it's on both sides, right? It's on the service member and it's on the spouse. I remember my my wife one time, and this was several years after we went through this, um, but she said at one point when I came home and I was disciplining the kids that she got angry, like, who does this guy think he is? Mm -hmm. Because he's talking to my children, because especially for, again, these rapid deployments, it's a single parent, dual parent, single parent. So it's a coming together and breaking apart. Um, and there's these sort of automatic thoughts that come in that people just aren't really familiar with how no. to deal with. No, and that, that's exactly what it is. So if we can make as effective as a reintegration plan as we can, I always do it. Because I, I made the same mistake on my first deployment when I came home and I was just like, everything's gonna be great, or it's gonna be wonderful because I didn't have a plan. And so on this second deployment where I was uh, the company commander, I had all my guys, hey, you need to talk to your spouse about what healthy reintegration looks like. And it was significantly more successful the second time. And that's great to hear really overlapping this, not just taking your military career and putting into the clinical space, but mm-hmm. taking what you know as a clinician. Yeah. There, there are yeah. definitely some commanders I wish I had that had some <laughs> clinical skills. Uh, everybody, you're listening to Inside the Military Mind. My guest today is Eli Varney from the Family Care Center. So a lot of times when people think about mental health, you've mentioned depression, you've mentioned post-traumatic stress, they think about mental health conditions and relate it to the brain, right? Anxiety, depression, traumatic stress reaction, it all has to do with our brain. Uh, The fact is that the brain is only part of the central nervous system and we recognize the presence of embodied emotions, how we physically experience different emotions. How do you help veteran clients maybe dial into that, understand that, that that physically anger feels differently than depression. And it's Mm -hmm. not just psychological, it's not just in our brains. So the first thing I try to do here is it's relating again. It's if I just rolled into a session and just said, hey, you need to be more in tune with your bodies, that that doesn't work. Uh, So I relate it to, you know, if they've been through airborne school, airborne school is one of the best examples of teaching your body how to respond just muscle memory. Like you jump out of the was it like the 10 the 20 and then the 40 foot towers and they teach you how to fall correctly when i it was a few years ago i was up in my tree getting some garbage that had flown up in the tree and the branch i was standing on broke and i fell to the ground and i remember as i'm falling i literally thought eyes on the horizon feet and knees together plf it is the greatest pavlovian experiment (laughs) that's been lasting for a hundred years exactly and and as i did that i was like wow, my body responded without me even thinking about it. And so when I work with vets on, okay, let's understand the body, it's that our body is going to react before our mind can. Um, within within our body, we, so we have our stomach and then brain, and a lot of people call the stomach uh, another brain that we have going on, and we have the vagus nerve that's there. So essentially there's a, the nerve that goes from the guts up to the brain, and then back down. But 90% of the information goes from the guts to the brain and only 10% from the brain down to the guts. And where, where this is important is, is understanding that if something's going on within our bodies, like it's, we're feeling uncomfortable, we're feeling unbalanced, there's a reason behind that. Our guts are telling us, hey, you need to pay attention to this. Uh, when we're developing within the womb, our guts actually develop before our brain does. And so that is where it's so important to, we need to listen to it. Um, 
so addressing what you're talking about with you know anger or depression a lot of times with my clients i'll ask them where they're feeling the anger in their mm -hmm. body because let's say that they're feeling the anger you know I, I have one client it's it's the front of his forehead okay you're the only one who knows that so if we begin to notice that first then we can say okay I'm feeling that anger in the front of my forehead. I'm going to take that tactical pause and detach myself from the situation. Uh, being in tune with that is the first step to understanding uh, how to, you know, you know, help help us realize that the physical experience is different from just our emotions. Right, and and the thing that fascinates me is that um, where we feel these emotions in our bodies are different from person to person, mm -hmm. but it's consistent within each of us, right? Yes. When you talk about anger, a lot of people say, and, and they may not even be aware of it, and I ask the same thing of my clients, and they'll start clenching their fist. Without mm -hmm. saying, I'm feeling it in my fist, I have to bring it to their attention. They say, oh, it makes me mad, or this person, when they do this thing, they start talking about what they think when they're angry instead of how they feel when mm -hmm. they're angry. Some people feel it in their forearms. I feel it in my shoulder blades, right? Yep. So if I feel that my trapezius muscles, and so there's this idea of there's these early warning signs that our bodies individually can give us that we are either afraid mm -hmm. or angry or sad or even excited or happy and do more of what that is making us feel, physically feel. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what it is. It's, uh, and when I try to relate this with clients, because sometimes we've got to start relating with things outside of clinical reasons to help them make the click in their brain is if you ever had that feeling that someone's watching you and and you'll feel like that twinge in your gut and they'll say oh yeah i'm like that that's your mind gut connection speaking up and this is kind of a tangent but kind of on the same talk topic with the mind gut connection is this is the importance of actually eating healthy because we want to make sure that we are feeding those gut microbes that we're eating you know probiotics and that we're basically keeping our gut healthy so that we can be more in tune with our with our gut so that the mind gut connection is as healthy as it can be and a lot of that times with that compartmentalization we we deliberately suppress that mm -hmm. connection right oh, yeah. um you know, in some ways, sometimes we will allow anger. We, anger drove us while we mm -hmm. were deployed. Fear in a mm -hmm. certain like, if you weren't afraid, then there was something wrong, right? But that sadness or that that you know, um, the freezing instinct. Um, service members from the beginning of when your drill sergeant said, <laughs> "Suck it up, meathead." <laughs> Um, we are taught to separate that mind-gut connection and not pay attention to what our emotions are doing with our body. Yeah, and that's you're 100% right there. That's what it is. And so how have you seen veterans who have, have dialed themselves in, how have you seen them use that awareness of the mind-body connection um, to actually change maybe thoughts or mm -hmm. behaviors? So... I would say that where I've seen this be a strength lately is I've been, so I go on hikes with my clients. Um, there, there's a trail behind the, the clinic that we'll go, or I've gone to Woodland Park with them. And, and we, every now and then we'll do a mindfulness exercise of meditation of 10 to 15 minutes of let's sit in silence. Let's do this deep breathing and see the healing process that it can do. Cause in addition to the compartmentalizing is the world that we live in now there's so much technology there's so much go 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 that just sitting in silence rarely happens and i want you to be in tune so uh one of my clients 
after the meditation exercise, he he realized that since he doesn't have any time to take that step back, that he hasn't really truly looked at himself in years. And so uh, he after he recognized that, we began to move into exercises called real versus ideal. Okay, this is my real self. This is my ideal self. How can I get to my ideal self? How am I ignoring parts of myself um, that I need to be aware of so that I can get to that ideal self? And the the when I'm working with veterans and they are being more in tune with their bodies, I see a significant higher success rate with staying away from excessive alcohol, excessive marijuana. Um, relationships, right? Relationships. Bad relationships, yeah. 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 Um, and, and so that that's what I would say is one of the main things for you know the veterans to look at is take that time to we don't even have to call it meditation just get to the mountains and take a breather for a little bit you know I, you know I, seals hall right stop look listen smell um this last weekend when we went on our hike like literally as i i sat down on the ground i went through seals and i was like oh my goodness this is listening to nature return to its natural uh setting you can't get that anywhere else and in than in the mountains it's couldn't hear a car couldn't hear a plane um it's some of the most peace i felt at the time of the two vets i was with that day they said the exact same thing they both talked about how much they needed it because unfortunately what happens especially you know as as these veterans get out of the military is we tend to isolate feel like nobody else understands us no one else has gone through what we've gone through and so instead of reaching out for help because we've been told to compartmentalize we'll isolate in our basements isolate and being being out there on on a hike together on experiencing that other people have gone through the same things we have they they both have shared multiple times about how it has helped them mm-hmm. recover because they feel connected with the world instead of alone on a mountaintop and I think that's really the idea of being disconnected in a number of different ways, right? Mm-hmm. But being disconnected from our own emotions or being just disconnected from the present. You talk about mindfulness, um, and, and I've heard mindfulness be described as uh, current attention with present awareness, right? Mm-hmm. We're always living uh, in our minds somewhere in the future where we're about to go or in the past where we came from, especially veterans, even in traumatic events. Yeah. That's where we're always living. Uh, we never really pay attention to what's currently happening in, mm-hmm. in our lives at this moment. Yep, you're 100% right. So we've got to be in that moment at times because if, if we're not, I'll, I'll personalize it, if I'm not living in the moment, that means I am not aware that how my actions could affect the future. I could have all these great goals down the road, but if I'm not making sure that I am in tune with my body, and, and it could be even things like like you know, working out correctly, um, getting enough sleep, communicating with family, whatever that is. If I'm not making sure that I'm doing those things right now, it makes it hard for the long-term goals to actually come to fruition. And that's ultimately the goal is helping people come back from or, mm-hmm. or 
Um, and again, I've heard this as a disrupted transformation is we go through the military, we've transformed from something into something else, but then we don't grow beyond that mm -hmm. into transforming. Uh, and unfortunately, sometimes that breaks down, right? Unfortunately, things don't happen. You and I work closely with the local Fort Judicial District Veterans Court. Uh, some in our community may not realize that there's a special court for justice-involved veterans, uh, but both as a military leader and as a therapist, you know that there are unique stressors. You know, we talked about some of them. Um, and if we don't get a handle on them, we can find ourselves involved in the criminal justice system. The reasons for misbehavior today are not the same reasons <laughs> of misbehavior, uh, say, 30 years ago in the mid-90s or something like that. Why do you think that your work with the veterans who are involved in the Veterans Court or the Veterans Court in general is important for the community? So I would say just because it specializes with the vets, it specializes with that understanding uh, that what they've gone through is something different. The guy who, you know, deployed you know let's say he left you know may 5th when he got home a year later is not the same guy because of what he's gone through and let's say he does something such as domestic violence we got to look at okay this situation is slightly different not everybody goes through those same traumatic experiences you know imagine if you know the court systems we have this veteran focused court system that caters for lack of a better word of hey your situation is different. Let us help you. Imagine if we did that with other substance use programs, other um, other groups to say, hey, this is, situation is different. Let's handle it the best we can. Uh, so, you know, within the military, I joke with my wife every now and then because, you know, I've essentially, I've sold my soul at this point. And the the benefits of having veterans court and how important it is to the community is that we help them gain that control back. And it boils, again, back to relating, letting these vets know that there's other people who've gone through similar situations um, and that there is a way to recover from the program. One of the positive aspects of a veteran's court is that they have a mentor program, somebody who's graduated the program in the past who can say, hey, you know, I, I've had a felony offense as well and I've made it through it. You can make it through it as well. And so it's, again, it's about a more of a community. It's a I have a client who I really appreciated about this. He had an epiphany several weeks ago about one of the reasons why I feel stuck right now is I don't have a tribe. Mm -hmm. And the Veterans Court allows these vets to feel like they have a tribe. They have other people they can rely on um, that can help them through these difficult times. It, it, I've always seen Veterans Court as uh, the ultimate breakdown of not addressing these issues. Um, not not the necessary ultimate. Um, you know, I, I often describe suicide as a lagging indicator of dozens of unresolved underlying problems, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and being involved in the criminal justice system is, is what can happen if we don't resolve these relationship mm -hmm. concerns, right? You know, if we don't resolve these substance use concerns or things like that. And that's exactly what it is. When I so I've worked, I worked for the prison system for about a year with uh, clients who committed a sex offense, and then I've worked with domestic violence extensively as well. And and I have a a spiel that I give all of them, and basically it boils down to the offense is just the tip of the iceberg. I care about all the stuff leading up to it. Um, you know, on your deployment, did you feel like your spouse wasn't there for you, or are there for family patterns did you watch your dad beat your mom and then you came in the military and other people thought 
told you that that was okay and then you know, whatever else happened you had a continual continual situations where you were told that this behavior is okay and it was never processed so I care about all the stuff underneath it that led to the culminating event because if you just treat the culminating event the domestic violence you're treating a symptom not the actual problem and so I like to focus on the actual problem itself and then that alleviates the symptom and I think that's really where the benefit of the Veterans Court is, is because it addresses a population and mm-hmm. not a particular behavior, right? We, as you'd mentioned, we do have substance use recovery courts, we call them. Uh, we do have domestic violence courts. We do have DUI courts. We even had mental health courts for a while. Um, but here we have a veteran who is struggling with mental health concerns, who mm-hmm. likely also has a DUI, who's struggling with violence, who is also struggling with substance use, right? These are all of these conditions combined in a particular group of people. Yep. And since it specializes, we're able to delve into that specialty because the common the common foundation among all of them is that, okay, we're all vets. We have gone through basic training of, of some sort. Um, we've done the whole break them down and build them back up. And so we're able to help them through that process uh, because we have that common foundation between us. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, may have some assumptions. Oh, these are just vets who are criminals, right? You know, they're just mm-hmm. going out there. And what, what people don't understand, and I used to say this when I was in uh, um, uh, running a homeless veterans program, was, um, you know, I was just one more deployment away from coming home to an empty house and Mm -hmm. ending up as a resident of the program that I was running, right? I mean, um, we're all one bad decision away of ending up in the back of a cop car. Um, And and not to say that all veterans have criminal tendencies and things like that, but like you said, um, sometimes the environment can influence our behavior. Um, and, and, and almost blindly and unknowingly, a veteran can find themselves in a situation um, where it's causing some challenges in their life and in their community. Mm-hmm. And, and you're, you're right there. And it's like, e- even right now, I'm drinking an energy drink as we're talking about this. And it's, you know, substance use, whether it's tobacco, energy drink, um, uh, alcohol are all major components within the military. And it's, it's almost thought as a norm. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, when we work with clients, we try to look at all those different aspects about, you know, this this is what you've gone through. How can we, how can we work through it? How can we normalize, not normalize it? How can we process what you've gone through? Why, why do you feel like the need to continue to use substances? Why do you are, are reliant on alcohol every time you come home from a deployment? And, you know, work through those guys by identifying their triggers and everything that surrounds it. And and the way I often describe it is um, we need to be able to have control on those things external to us, Mm -hmm. tobacco or caffeine or alcohol or whatever, uh, more control over them than they have over us, Mm -hmm. just like we have to have more control over on the inside, our emotions, our thoughts, than they have over us. But I think a lot of veterans, um, in in my experience, especially as they're struggling with these things, um, both the internally and external seem to have more control than they have over them. Yes, and it's part of what I like to work with my clients on that is understanding why. Why do we let them have that extra control over us? Is it um, the alcohol doesn't make us feel numb? Because that, that's a huge piece of, okay, if, if I'm drunk, then I don't have to feel these emotions. I don't have to think about my friends that I've lost. I don't have to think about the, the mistakes that I've made. I can just be numb. I can finally be, quote-unquote, happy for a little bit. And, and that goes back to 
when I'm working with clients, okay, you had a DUI. I don't care about the DUI. I care about the events leading up to the DUI. Was it a fight? Was it a, did you have a bad experience at work? What was that event? And then what is the core emotion did you feel? Was it a feeling of incompetent? Was it a feeling of inadequacy? Was it a feeling of lonely? And we address those emotions themselves and how we can cope through them to help alleviate future DUIs, future domestic violence incident, incidences and things like that. Unfortunately, um, you know, uh, every, every cure in enough amount can become a poison, right? Mm-hmm. You know, every medicine can be something that, that can be fatal. And, and unfortunately, uh, for many veterans, uh, drinking or, or smoking marijuana or something like that, it works. It, it does what the veteran wants it to do in the short term, whereas it can be very, very damaging in the long term. Yeah. But that's the unfortunate thing is is giving in to these emotions, not controlling these emotions and things. It can be effective, so to speak, mm-hmm. in that resolving that need, but not really addressing the larger impact of things. A lot of times I call it a, it's a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. We think it works for a little bit, but it doesn't last very long. And then the other uh, comparison that I use is, you know, I've, I've done a lot of rucking in my life, and if we don't, if we get a small blister, if I get a small blister on my foot, if I don't address that right away, by the end of the 26-mile ruck, my feet are going to be falling apart. I'm going to be tearing off skin off the bottom of my feet. And that's the same thing with addiction or trauma or depression, whatever it is. If we don't address it while it's smaller, it's going to continue to grow. And that tends to be something that a lot of vets relate to because a lot of them ruck. <laughs> No, that's great. Uh, Eli, I really appreciate you coming to join us today to be able to share your insights. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. I hope that you appreciated my conversation with Eli. With yesterday, May 7th, being Military Spouse Appreciation Day, this week's resource segment highlights Onward to Opportunity and the services that they provide military spouses, transitioning service members, and veterans. Employment and career opportunities are a consistent challenge for most military spouses. According to a study done by the Department of Defense, 35% of active duty spouses who have experienced a permanent change of station move indicated that it took seven months or more to find employment after their most recent move. Organizations like Onward to Opportunity aim to provide military spouses a chance at furthering and improving their careers so they can get back in and stay in the workforce when the time is right for them. The Onward to Opportunity program continues dedicated service to transitioning service members, veterans, and military spouses in Colorado. A program of Syracuse University, Syracuse has a long history of dedication and service to veterans and their families, beginning with Chancellor Tolley's involvement in the passing of the GI Bill of Rights. Since then, Syracuse University has committed itself to being the best place for veterans. The Institute for Veterans and Military Families was founded at Syracuse University and is headquarters on their campus. Completing an IVMF program also makes participants a Syracuse University alum. The IVMF resides in the Daniel and Gail Dianello Building, home to the National Veterans Resource Center, a $65 million investment representing an unprecedented commitment by Syracuse University to cultivate and lead innovative academic, government, and community collaborations positioned to empower those who have served in the defense of the nation. Specifically, the National Veterans Resource Center functions as a bridge to forging public-private partnerships, a collaborative space to nurture academic research and actionable program, and a forum to facilitate collaborative thought leadership, 
all for the purpose of advancing the social, economic, and wellness concerns of the nation's veterans and their families. Finally, the National Veterans Resource Center serves as the center of veteran life on the campus of Syracuse University and the local community and across central New York State. One of the integral offerings through IVMF is the Onward to Opportunity program established in 2015. Onward to Opportunity is a best-in-class national career skills program offered at 19 military installations across the country and an online-only program for those who reside outside of a 50-mile radius of an O2O installation. In June of 2017, O2O launched at Fort Carson, Colorado and continues to offer free career skills training program and industry-recognized certifications in support of the military community. The award-winning Colorado team consists of Air Force Officer Joe Aldez and military spouse Katrina Lusk. The local program has served over a thousand participants by providing no-cost professional development, certification, and connections to new or better careers. In the next five years, more than one million service members and military families will transition to civilian life. For many, funding employment will be the most challenging part of their transition, and 80% of the transitioning service members do not have their next career lined up prior to separating from military service. To ease that stress of transition, O2O brings together the opportunity to gain industry-validated certification and an opportunity to self-assess and reflect on strengths and future goals through targeted curriculum development and program delivery expertise from the Institute of Veterans of Military Families at Syracuse and the support of career coaching and mentoring by Hire Heroes USA. The Colorado O2O program offers a four-day workshop called Onward to Your Career that consists of professional development, skills training, and opportunities to grow your professional network. After the four-day workshop, learners move into an online self-paced self-study curriculum in their certification training track. O2O offers 30 certifications in the focus areas of information technology and business management. In the IT area, offerings include courses such as CompTIA Security Plus, Cisco's Certified Network Associate, the Certified Information Systems Security Certification, and many more. Business management certifications include project management, human resources, customer service excellence, and data science core concepts. To learn more about the 30-plus certifications offered, visit OnwardToOpportunity.com. That's Onward, the number two, Opportunity.com, and check out the career training section. When an O2O participant completes the Onward to Your Career workshop and their coursework, O2O connects them with Hire Heroes USA and their 800-plus employer partners. Through personalized service and support, Hire Heroes USA assists O2O participants with resume revision, career coaching, and connecting to military-friendly employers. Employers that partner with O2O through Hire Heroes USA also benefit from this program by saving on costs in training and recruiting by hiring highly qualified O2O graduates and fulfill commitments to hire talented veterans and military spouses. The O2O program remained operational throughout 2020 despite many challenges due to COVID-19 and was able to provide uninterrupted service to the military community. The Colorado program will continue to operate in a virtual session until the fall of 2021 when they plan to return to an in-person model. In an in-person delivery, the four-day Onward to Your Career workshop will take place in an in-person classroom and is followed by a 90-day online self-paced certification training. America's service members protect the American dream, and O2O helps set them up to live it. The Onward to Opportunity program is tailored to meet specific needs of the military-connected individual and is available to transitioning service members within the last six months prior to separation. 
veterans with an honorable discharge, National Guard and Reserve service members, and military spouses. Each eligible individual may participate in O2O one time. Through the generosity of their donors, O2O is offered at no cost to participants, and the program covers the tuition for coursework, test preparation materials, and one industry certification exam fee. Interested participants can visit onwardtoopportunity.com to learn more and to sign up. So thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. It'll be great to hear your feedback. I'd like to answer any questions you might have or know what you'd like to hear about. What topics about military and veteran mental health are you interested in? Send me an email to militarymind at fccsprings.com and there's a chance that we'll discuss it on an upcoming show. I'd also like to remind you that the information provided on this show is for informational purposes only. While I am a licensed mental health professional, I'm not your licensed mental health professional. If what we discuss on the show brings up anything that concerns you, it's highly recommended that you consult a licensed mental health professional. Stay tuned for another great show next week. And until then, remember, you're not alone, ever. Family Care Center is a comprehensive outpatient behavioral health clinic providing critical mental health support to service members, veterans, family members, and our local community. Family Care Center focuses on the mental health and wellness of those who have served our country's military by providing best in-class evidence-based therapy, medication management, and transcranial magnetic stimulation. Family Care Center's clinical staff is dedicated to meeting every client's outpatient behavioral health care needs. This is Dr. Chuck Weber inviting you to to learn more at fcsprings.com. Family Care Center, our family, caring for your family. You've been listening to Inside the Military Mind, addressing mental health and wellness for service members, veterans, and their families. Sponsored by Family Care Center, Behavioral Health Services. Our family, caring for your family. fcsprings.com. Tune in every Saturday at 11 a.m. for Inside the Military Mind on KPPF and listen to the Companion Podcast on Podbean.